Well, Calvary Church, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning as we get to open up God's Word. And we've been in this series in Genesis, and, and today we're diving back into that. But before we do, I have a question for you. I, I love to kind of ask prodding questions because that's just who I am. Um, but this question is this, what is your secret? What is your secret? And I, Thankfully, I'm not going to ask anybody to shout it out because I feel like it would just be crickets in here, right? But what is your secret this morning? What's the secret that you maybe have been holding on to? Something that you've been kind of just tucked in the back pocket of, I don't want anybody to find out. I don't want anybody to know. How, how are you at holding secrets? Are you good at holding secrets? Are you that person that, man, when somebody shares something with me, I'm, I'm pretty good at it, right? Like, I, I can keep a secret. Or maybe you're good at keeping other people's secrets, but you're even better at holding your own secrets. You've got secrets that nobody knows. Nobody's ever heard. They're, they're deep down inside of you. And as you think about that secret, or even as I, I mention the word secret, maybe your mind shoots to something specifically. And you're thinking, man, I hope nobody finds out about that. That would be terrible. That would ruin my life. That would really mess me up. I, um, I think about this, and I think about secrets that I have, and, and I'm kind of like Captain Secret Ruiner. Um, I love to make plans for things uh, with my wife, maybe like for an anniversary or a birthday. And before we get to the time, I'm like, hey, should I just tell you what we're doing? And she's like, what? No, like, just, just like, let's just follow through. But I'm like, what if you don't want to do it? Like, what if I've kept this secret for so long and you're like, man, this was really lame. Like, I thought it was going to be bigger. I thought it was going to be better. You kept this secret for so long, right? And so I often will be like, okay, so here's the restaurant we're going to, and then there's where we're going to. She's like, just be quiet. Let's just do it. It's more about the thought that counts. I'm like, no, it's not, right? Like, who, we all know that's a lie. If I take you to McDonald's and that's the big secret, it's going to be a real big disappointment. But no, really, in all reality, we probably all have secrets that hold a lot more weight than that. And so this morning, we're going to be getting into a text where there's this secret that's being held, and some brothers have committed to one another about this secret, and they basically have looked each other in the eyes and said, we are taking this secret to our grave. There is no way that one of you are going to say a word about this. Like, you cannot say anything about this. And so this morning, we are in Genesis chapter 42. And we're going to be covering a narrative in Genesis chapter 42 through Genesis chapter 45. And it all is surrounding, kind of in, has this darkness about this secret that is being held by Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers have been put in this position by their own doing of holding on to this secret that they have sold their brother into slavery and then they went to their father with a coat drenched in blood and said, oh, a beast got him. A beast took him and we, we saw this coat as we were traveling home and it's so sad, father. And I can only imagine over the time that these brothers interacted with one another, 
There had to have been these secret conversations. You see the way that dad is it's just wrenching him apart. We've got to tell him the truth. Maybe we can go find Joseph. Maybe we can go buy him back. You keep this quiet. You say a word to him and you're the next one. Like you cannot say a word. Keep it quiet. And so these 10 brothers who have committed to one another to keep this secret quiet see years pass away. And over the time, as time continues to roll, I have to believe that they assume Joseph's dead. I mean, we, we've seen what happens to slaves. We sold them to a foreign country. We've heard about Egypt. We've heard about how cruel they can be at times. He, he's he's got to be dead. And so we pick up in Genesis chapter 42. And in Genesis chapter 42, we see this, this interesting thing start to happen. Because Joseph now, as we know, has taken over ruler of Egypt, basically. And Pastor Tom last week talked in 40 and 41 about how God is weaving this intricate plan. And he's taking this intricate plan of how he is going to save a nation and how he's going to complete his plan of taking a remnant of Abraham's seed and bringing them into this big, grand nation. And so this plan that's being weaved continues to weave through these next few chapters. And in Genesis chapter 42, we, we start with kind of this comical thing. And I want to read Genesis 42, 1 through 3 to you. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now, I love how this story starts off. You've got cranky old Jacob who comes in and he looks around at his sons and he's like, what are you doing? Like, you guys are supposed to be the ones that are providing for the family now. You're grown up. Like, you're all sitting around looking at each other like a bunch of millennials. Get out there and get a job. <laughs> if you can't say amen, you might say, ouch, right? So here's the deal. He's like, go do something about it. We're all going to sit around and die while you look at each other. You've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Come on, go do something about it. And so the brothers are like, uh, okay. And they all get up and they travel down to Egypt where they've heard that there's grain. For some reason, unbeknownst to them, two years into a famine, Egypt's got food. Weird, strange how that's happening. And so he says, go down. And right from the beginning, we also get this picture that there's this struggle waging within the family, right? Joseph doesn't come in and say, sons, you know, you've been faithful to me and I need you to, to do this last. He just comes in like, why are you all looking around at each other? Go do this. Come on. And so the brothers obey and they go down to Egypt. So right off the bat, there's unrest in the family. We've seen it before. We've seen it leading up to this text that there is not a happy, happy family setting going on here. There's an unrest that's happening in this family. 
And in Genesis 42, 6 through 8, it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Wait a second. Wait a second. I mean, this is, this is a moment happening here. This is a moment happening here that is, is really spectacular. I mean, I don't know what the, the kind of level of distance you are to kind of the ruler of the land, but I almost imagine that Joseph is kind of up on this platform and the people kind of come in and, and in this moment, his brothers, he sees them walking and he instantly recognizes, this is my family. These are my brothers. I, I never thought I'd see them again. What is going on here? But in that moment, Joseph also realizes that they do not recognize him, and, and probably rightfully so. They are convinced that their brother is a slave or he's dead. And here they're looking at a man who is ruling an entire nation. Even if he resembles Joseph in his eyes or in his facial features, there's no way that that's Joseph. And so they bow down, they get down before him and they come up groveling, please, we just want some food. And it's interesting that Joseph in a moment, instead of just, brothers, what are you doing here? There's almost this sense that Joseph is going to test their motives. Are you the same brothers that sold me into slavery years ago? Are you the same brothers that really just wanted to kill me? Are you the same brothers that as I cried and weeped and screamed as I was given over to these slave owners that you just callously turned your back and counted your money? What kind of brothers are walking before me now? Where are you in this scenario where, like, where you see just, he's, he's like, all right. And it doesn't seem that Joseph is just like, you know what, get rid, get rid of these guys. Like get them prison straight away. He wants to kind of test and see where their hearts are at, where their motives are. And so Joseph begins to methodically start to question them and discover their motives. He even goes so far as imprisoning one of them and sending the rest home. Joseph asks for his full brother. He says, is this all of you? And they say, well, we have a father at home and we have one more brother who's there. And Joseph recognizes that this is his one full brother from his mother, Rachel, Benjamin. And he apparently wants to see this brother. He wants to engage with this brother. So he says, all right, I'm gonna, I want you to go home and I want you to bring that brother back. And the only way that you're gonna get this other brother out of prison is if you go and bring him back to me. And so he throws Simeon in prison and he sends the rest of the brothers home with grain in their, on their donkeys and says, come back to me with your youngest brother. It's interesting. The brothers run back to Egypt or uh, run back to Canaan and, and 
they come to their, bro, their, their father, Jacob, and they say, Jacob, dad, dad, we, we, craziest thing happened here. We get there, he treats us harshly, he thinks we're spies, and he basically says, you gotta bring Benjamin back to me or else I am not going to allow you back into this land. We are not giving you any more food. So you've, you've gotta give us Benjamin and we're gonna go back to Simeon. And Jacob says, no. You will not take my last son. There is no way. I have lost a son. I have grieved a son. You will not take this son. Wait a second. Did he not just hear that Simeon, his son, his son is imprisoned in Egypt? But Jacob, he's kind of flawed in his thinking here. He thinks, no, this is my favorite son now. You can't have my favorite son. I don't care that Simeon is lost. I mean, he's lived a life, you know, he's gone. But you can't have Benjamin. And he's firm in his decision. And so the months go on and the, the time passes and the grain is eaten up. And so Jacob comes back and he says to his sons, all right, hey, you gotta go back to Egypt. You gotta get us more grain. We're, we're out of food again. And the sons look around and they're like, man, uh, you weren't there. This guy was serious about this. He is not going to give us any more grain unless you give us Benjamin to take with us. I mean, it's, there's no harm. Just let him prove that we are not uh, spies in the land and, and it'll all be fine. Just give us Benjamin. And he says, no, 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 no. This is not happening. And so before they go, Judah comes to Jacob and says, Father, this will not work. All of us will go to our deaths unless you give us Benjamin. I will take care of him. I will bear full responsibility for Benjamin in this moment. If he does not return, you can take my sons and kill them. I will bear the full weight of Benjamin in this transaction, which is really interesting we're starting to see something happen here in this chapter that has not happened at all before. If you remember back a few weeks, if you're listening to this sermon series and processing through this, this is the same Judah that sold Joseph into slavery. When Joseph was down in the pit, there were brothers who talked about killing him and Reuben who was like, you know what, I'm gonna release him later, let him run back to dad. And Judah says, hey, why would we waste this brother? Let's sell him. Let's get something for him. If we just kill him, then his blood is on our hands. But if we sell him into slavery, well, hey, that's, you know, we can wipe our hands and we can make some money. Judah later in Genesis chapter 38 has these wicked sons who sin against God and God actually takes them off the pages. And then Judah goes in and sleeps with his daughter. It's, there's, there's horrific things that are happening. Judah is not a man after God's heart. But in this moment, we start to see a transformation that's happening and taking place. He's willing to step in and say, I will bear responsibility here. I will take on the guilt if anything happens. And so Judah steps up to the plate. So Jacob finally releases the brothers with Benjamin. He says, well, if I don't let him go, then we die anyways, right? Because we don't have the grain. So fine, take him. But if he doesn't come back, I will surely die. And so he releases uh, the brothers and Benjamin all to go. And as they come into Egypt, there's this weird turn of events. 
there's a dinner party. Joseph is like, hey, I want you to come and I want you to feast with me. I want you to come into to my house, to my table, and I want you to feast with all of the brothers and we're gonna, we're gonna enjoy a meal together. So they go from being spies to, wait, now we're gonna feast with the kind of the ruler of the land? Okay, this is strange. And, and they go through this feast process and then they get all their grain and Joseph says, all right, you guys can go. But Joseph makes a plan. He says, what I want you to do to his servants, he says, I want you to go and I want you to put all their money back in their satchels. And then in the satchel of Benjamin, I want you to take my golden cup and I want you to put it in his sack. Hide it down in the grain, put it there. And I, I gotta imagine that the servants at this point are like, man, Joseph's losing it a little bit, right? He's been really wise up to this point, but like, I don't know why he's giving this money back to these strangers who he said were spies and now they're not. And like, this is crazy, but okay. And they go off and they do it. And as the brothers leave back towards Canaan, Joseph's like, all right, now go get them. Again, they're like, uh, okay, this doesn't make sense, but we'll do it. And so they come and they chase down the brothers. And he says, servant says to him, hey, 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 you've stolen from the king. You've stolen his cup. And the brothers are like, there is no way. There is absolutely no way. Genesis 44, seven through 10 says, but they asked uh, to him, they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the silver we found inside the mouths of the sack the first time. So why would we steal silver or gold from their master's house? If any of your servants have, or is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. And then the servant says, very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. The servants go on to search every bag. And to their absolute astonishment, they search every last bag and Benjamin is last and they come to Benjamin and they pull out the cup. And it says that the brothers tore their clothes and cried out in anguish. They're like, what, what is happening here? What is going on? Like we, how, how did this happen? There's some of me, my mind goes to, did you not check the bags before you left? Like, did you not think about this? They did it before to you. Did you not do it? But somehow this happens again. And they are just devastated. And then we see this huge paradoxical moment happen for Judah. And I want you to look at these words here. In Genesis 44, 16, he says this. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. Judah here claims some interesting things in these two sentences. He claims innocence and he claims guilt. I don't know about you, but that does not work. Those are opposites. But Judah's realizing something here. You know what? We are innocent of stealing this silver and this cup. But us brothers, 
God has discovered our guilt of selling a brother into slavery. And he's punishing us for it now. And Judah at this moment is in a completely different place than he was years previous. Because what does he do in this moment? We will go with you and we will become your slaves. He's willing to pay the cost of what has been said. And he's willing to go back to Egypt and to become a slave. But if you read the passage that we read a little bit earlier, what does the servant say? The one who is found guilty will become the slave. The rest of you will be free to go. Judah's previous character says, man, Benjamin, it's been good, but we're going to take off now. You're a slave and we are free. I will see you guys later. I'm not going to be a slave. Like for, I don't have to. The servant said, only the one who is found guilty will become the slave. I get to go free. But there's been a transformation that started in Judah's heart that is no longer just about self-preservation, no longer about pride and preservation. It's all about, all right, I can't run from the Lord anymore. I, this has eaten at me for the years and years that I've kept it secret. We as brothers know that we are guilty and the Lord has found it out. There's nowhere left to run. We will all go back to Egypt together and we will all become slaves together. He offers himself as a slave even though he doesn't have to. Up to this point, Joseph has been testing his brothers. He's been pushing them, seemingly seeing if there's been any change in their hearts. And it's at this point where Joseph starts to see the breakdown in Judah. Judah, the brother that sold Joseph into slavery. Judah, the brother that went off and married foreign wives who are, who are godless and, and led his family astray from who God was. Judah, who had raised at least two wicked sons who sinned against God and their family. The same Judah then comes before Joseph and makes this plea. In Genesis 44, 32 and following. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his, his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. See, Judah's already sold one brother into slavery. He can't betray a second. He can't do this again. He's got a transformation that has begun in his heart. And Judah cannot see this happen one more time. And all the myths that's happened in this last three chapters, it's interesting here because he's been holding on to this secret. He's been holding on to this secret for years and years and years. And without him even knowing it, God has been unraveling this secret. God is like, this was never secret for me. You were worried about what your father would say, but you weren't worried about what I would say. And it's interesting. It's interesting what happens here. 
I believe the main idea of this text up to this point as we're seeing it, as we're reading, is the full repentance of our sin brings about healing and life change that is only possible with God. The full repentance of our sin brings about healing and life change that is only possible with God. God is taking this whole family on a journey of change. He is taking all of Jacob's family. I mean, Jacob has made a mess of things up to this point. And God is saying, but I have made a promise to your father's father and I will have a remnant. I have called you Israel and I am going to bring you through the waters. And so I will take my remnant and I will have you come back to me. And so God is is stretching out these brothers here and he's saying, no, all these things that you thought were secret, I am laying them bare. God comes in, reveals secrets of the past, redeems a family and sets them on a path of healing. So the question again this morning is, where are you? Where do you find yourself in this story? Where do you need transformation? Maybe you have a secret. Maybe you have a hurt or a fear that you've been wrestling with for years and you're sitting there saying, man, I cannot let this out. There's no way that God wants to forgive me. There's no way that God wants to transform me. There's no way that God wants to heal me in this mess. What if I reveal myself to the Father? I mean, I'm gonna be banished forever. The thing is, the Father already knows. And the Father is calling you home. If we break down this text, I think it breaks down in a few different ways. The first is this, we have Judah's sin. Judah is the instigator of selling his brother to a foreign land. And he really just hopes to never see him again, right? This brother that they want to murder, he just sells him off and says, let's just get rid of him. I don't want to see this guy again. I don't want to see his colored coat. I don't want any of that in my, like, just get rid of it all. And you might be thinking, well, I haven't done anything that bad. Like, I mean, I like broke my brother's arm when I was a kid, but like, I I never sold him. Right, like we're in this position of I'm not that bad, but here's the thing. Sin is a darkness that poisons every aspect of our life. And when we sin in light of a holy and perfect God, there is no hiding. It just begins to infiltrate. It begins to soak in and it begins to just use us in ways that we never expected. And it's not like after this sin of selling off Joseph, Judah's life gets better. It gets vastly worse. He sees sons who are just utterly wicked. And it says that God takes these sons from him. Judah's life is not going better because of the secret of sin that has poisoned his heart. It's only when he starts to see that it's being unraveled, that Judah really is just like, man, I can't hide anywhere. I need to run back to God. Whatever secret you hold isn't bringing you closer to God. It's driving a wedge between you. And here's the reality. We can come and gather here in church and there can still be a wedge that's driving deeper and deeper and deeper. 
I have to believe that Judah heard Jacob's stories over the years of who God was and the, the miracles that he had did, and he was still having a wedge driven dip, deeper and deeper and deeper because he was holding on to this secret sin that was poisoning his heart all in an attempt to cover up our sin so that we can feel better, but it keeps us from experiencing healing and trans transformation that we so desperately need. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Acts 3.19 that says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We desperately need to repent and turn from our sin and run towards the Lord where there is times of refreshment that await us. Times of God's goodness that await us. And God is, is sitting there and he's like, yes, come to me, repent and run towards me. I want to welcome you with open arms. We need the act of turning back to God. The second theme we see is this, Judah's repentance. Judah finally experiences the full weight of his guilt, and even though he knows that he's innocent, he accepts his guilt. He knows that he's, I, I didn't put that silver in there, I didn't put that cup in there, but yet he says, I did sell my brother into slavery, and I am guilty of that, and I do need to bear the weight of that punishment. And so he goes back to Joseph and he says, God has found me out. God has found me out and I'm willing to exchange my life for my brother. I'm willing to take on the weight of this. I, I have to see this happen because I cannot bear any more of this guilt. And I ask you, what is your breaking point? What is your breaking point with your secret that you're holding on to, with that sin that you're holding on to? What is the point where you are willing to say, God, I can't do this anymore. I, I need you. I'm willing to, to bear the weight of this guilt, but I cannot do it alone. And that's where we see this Old Testament picture of Jesus come in. In theme number three, Joseph's forgiveness and grace. For Judah, this was a moment that, that his long lost brother steps in and breaks down in tears. After he says, please, please let me exchange myself for my brother, Joseph steps in and, and this moment happens where he's just like, hey, brother, it's me, it's Joseph. And it says that the brothers were like freaked out completely. They're like, what? Like, what is happening here? It's like they've seen a go, like, it's just, no, 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 wait, what is happening here? And Joseph explains, and he starts to tell them the story, and he says, this, this God has done this. And he says, I want you to come into the land, bring my father, come. I want you to come and live as kings like I'm living as a king now. And it's interesting here because jo Joseph opens up as filled with grace and merciful and as a redeemer. Joseph has seen the broken spirit of his brother and he fully embraces the fact that only God who could have orchestrated such an elaborate turn of events is in this. Joseph in this moment takes on the early picture of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he offers to you and me.
Here's the thing, Joseph isn't waiting for this secret to be revealed so that he could just pound the gavel and be like, you're guilty. You did this to me. You've sinned against me. And now it's my turn to exact revenge. No, he does what Jesus does. He says, I know you did this to me, but I wanna welcome you in. I wanna put a ring on your finger. I wanna give you the best of the land. I want you to come and live with me. It's amazing the grace and mercy that is poured out on his brothers here. Joseph sees the greater picture here and says, no, you didn't understand. There's been a famine in the land for the last two years and it's gonna continue on for five more. God has put me in this place for a reason so that people, nations would not die and perish. God has put me in this place for a reason so that a remnant would be continued here. And in the same way that Joseph offers this mercy and grace, God offers that mercy and grace to you and me today. Why? Because the full repentance of our sin brings about healing and life change that is only possible with God. Theme number four is this, our repentance and salvation is so gracious of God to give us this word picture in Genesis 42 through 45 in his word. He lays it out early in the New Testament, this early picture of Jesus saying, I forgive you even though you've sinned against me. I want you even though you've sinned against me. I want to be in relationship with you even though you think that you've run from me all these years. You are guilty. You do deserve the punishment. But I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna erase your debt and I'm gonna take you in as family. That's what Jesus has done here. For you and for me, whatever secret that has been rolling around in your mind, it's time for repentance. It's time for us to repent and ask God for forgiveness and to turn back so that we can experience the refreshment and healing that only Jesus offers. Because the wedge that has been driven between us needs to be removed. We... You and me, we are Judah in this story. We're Judah. We're the ones in need of forgiveness and grace. And Jesus so freely offers it. We may not have sold a brother into slavery. We've done far worse. We've stood in pride thinking that we're better than the others around us. We've lied, cheated, stolen to advance our own cost at the cost of others. We have replaced a holy God who alone deserves worship with idols of comfort in the form of houses and cars and hobbies and bank accounts and made endless excuses just to cover it up. We need God's forgiveness. All the while, Jesus stands by waiting for a broken and contrite heart of people that are willing to come and say, all right, take me, take me and do what you will with me. And Jesus isn't sitting there waiting to punish. He's waiting to accept and love. Some of us grew up 
in homes that were ruled harshly. Some of us grew up in churches that preached a hellfire and brimstone. The reality of God's love is forgiveness and mercy and grace that we do not deserve, but we have been freely offered. And it's in that grace that we need to come to Jesus. So I ask you this morning, what secret do you have that's worth more than Jesus? What fear do you have that is worth more than Jesus? I can tell you the answer right now, you don't. And Jesus wants to step in and he wants to heal and transform us so that we can begin this process of refreshment and out of that refreshment becomes the overpouring of the spirit to engage with those around us so that they can have the same refreshment that we've been offered and that we've experienced. This morning, we have the opportunity to experience a newness of heart because you might be sitting here and say, man, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but I have been struggling. Repent and turn to God and experience that refreshing once again because God wants to engage with us. He wants to walk with us. So as we close, I wanna close with Genesis 45. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Calvary, God wants to deliver you. He wants to take you from this place of mourning and sadness and darkness, and he wants to give you refreshment and life. But I do, I do think he requires something. It's a broken and contrite heart saying, I'm willing, I'm willing to pay. I, I need you, God. And it's in that moment that God steps in and says, it's already been paid, come on in. If you're here this morning and you need God's grace, don't leave without doing business with God. Don't leave these seats without having a conversation with God. And there are no special words to pray. There's no list that you can make. It is simply you and God having a conversation of, God, I am sorry, I need you. And in that moment, there's a transformation that takes place of, I'm guilty and now I'm innocent because God has come in and paid for my sin. The worship team is gonna come up and we're gonna close in another song. And as they do, it's an opportunity for us to respond to God. It's an opportunity for us to have a conversation with God. So please take this moment to cry out to him, asking for his grace and his mercy.
Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.